As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm really excited to be back with the latest edition of the show and super excited to have a brand new first-time guest that I'm really stoked and excited to introduce to our audience. And so, Atara Mala, really excited to have you here today. And I think where I'd like to start, Atara, is to ask you a little bit about your backstory and your journey, you know, just a little bit to tell us about where you spend your time today, just so people get to know you a little bit. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, Corey. Um, okay, where I spend my time today and my backstory is a little bit different. Where I spend my time today is with clients who challenge me, and together we create a life they can be proud of, and as you say, living with purpose and with passion. That's something that I've always loved to do. But my backstory is that I am a mother of six children. At this point, they're all married and out of the house. That's why I said it's, you know, not where my backstory began. And when I began as a young, naive, dedicated, exhausted, overwhelmed mom, um, doing my academic studies, uh, you know, and building up my practice and raising the children and doing most of the stuff in the house, the housework, I was exhausted all the time and being a type A personality and wanting to be everything to everyone and make everyone happy. I tried every single parenting method, advice, guru that you can just imagine. Because, you know, each child is different. I have sons and daughters, and they each have their different personalities and different ages. And I just kept running myself ragged. And I found that wherever I was, I always thought I should be somewhere else. If I was in college, then I really should be working on my practice more because I needed the income. If I was working with a client, why did I forget that I have kids and enjoy it so much? If I was at home, I really have to get that paper done. And I never, ever was fully present wherever I was. And the hardest part was that no matter what I did, it never was enough because there always was something or someone that could have or should have been done differently. And that frustration and exhaustion was actually the springboard and uh, catapulted me into creating something that I feel is amazing. And then back to the end of the question, and that's what I spend my days and my hours passionately living and loving, which is bringing a message across the globe, I hope, to working moms who can and should be proud of their careers and their businesses and not feel the debilitating and devastating guilt which gnaws at them and lowers their quality of life and actually the quality of life of those around them. So that's the, the short version. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love that. And, as, and we chatted about this off air, but uh, we have that in common. And, and I say that I don't mean I'm a single mom, but, uh, but I'm very <laughs> single mother. And I, I talk a lot, as, as you know, about how much that impacted my life. And in fact, even so much so that I did a talk not that long ago for the, the Boys and Girls Club of New York, uh, Brooklyn Navy Yard, for other children, uh, a single mom, because I'm so passionate about and feel it's so important 
for us to recognize how much work a single mom puts in. And I will say, and I don't know the experience from a mom's perspective, but about that guilt, like my mother actually, um, I know she struggled raising me thinking that, you know, I wasn't maybe seeing the benefit of it and I maybe wasn't, uh, maybe I didn't notice all the things she was doing. And I will say this as well, you know, I put my father on a pedestal, not realizing, and this is after he left our lives, not mm-hmm. realizing it was my mother that was doing all those things. So first of all, I, I totally can identify with what you're teaching. And I have to ask you, my, I guess my first question diving in, Atara, would be, why do you think, and I know this might be an obvious question, but for me as a male, I, I'd like to get an outside perspective on it. Why do you think it is that, let's say, moms have that guilt, but maybe dads don't feel that same guilt, whether they're in a relationship or whether they're a single dad? You know, I've asked myself that question time and again, and the answer I'll share with you is from my personal perspective, the feedback I've gotten from thousands of moms. And to open and close parentheses for a second, um, Corey, uh, single moms are those that struggle valiantly because they don't have the backup, um, whether it's financially or personally or just another two hands, <laughs> to be able to relax. And therefore, they are so on top of my list of those that I admire and learn from. But coming back to why women or mothers have mommy guilt, you don't really hear many books being written or programs being created for daddy guilt. And here's what I think, but I'd love your perspective on it, because you um, not only are someone who is is a deep thinker and loving life and are interested in other people, but you have, you know, a vast knowledge of interviewing thousands and thousands of thought leaders. And here's what I'm going to ask you, bounce this off you. What I see is that guilt is what fills the gap between our expectations and our reality. So if as a mom, I expect myself to be very calm and wonderful in the morning, even though she forgot her shoes and the baby is screeching and the nanny didn't come, or if I expect myself to be constantly professional and um, totally invested in my business career or profession, but despite the fact that a child is ill or there is, you know, a big financial or personal problem, my expectations, and then when I measure up to the reality, which usually is, you know, not the same, that creates a void, a gap, and I even call it an invitation to guilt. So what my thinking is, since a mom feels, knows, and yes, it's social and it's nurturing and it's the messages we've gotten and it's even biological, that we are responsible for the well-being of our family, of our children, of our homes, our expectations are such that when we're all over the place, you know, even though we're living in the 21st century, we cannot be in two places at once at the same time physically, um, we just find ourselves, you know, I missed his recital and I forgot her dentist appointment. And that creates the guilt. On the other hand, the dads, I don't think they have the same expectations of the consistent nurturing and being there and remembering that she shouldn't get Kool-Aid and he needs the red socks. I am not sure that those are their expectations. My feeling is that dads feel more guilt in the areas of providing for their family, protecting their family. But I'd love to hear um, your take on this. Yeah, so I, so I, first of all, I, I totally agree with everything you just said based on just looking on the outside in. And I will add, too, you know, I mentioned I was raised by a single mother, but I'm also now a dad myself, and, and a fairly new dad. You know, he's less than two years old, and it's my girlfriend and my first – it's both of our first uh, child. And we right. don't know if I'm in a second one, but he, might, he may or may not be an only child. We're not sure. 
But having said that, it's such a great point because if I'm being full disclosure and honest, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to, to you know, tell this about ourselves. But if I look at it realistically, I feel guilt. For example, uh, I just they were on the road with me for a week, and then I've been on the road for over a month myself. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and and that that's the longest trip since he's been born. In fact, even maybe close to the longest since my girlfriend and I got together. So it's not like that's common, even though I speak and I'm on the road a lot. Usually, I come back quicker than that. But we, I, they left from me in New York, and we went in different directions. And the baby was just like, bye, bye, bye. And he can't say many words, but he just walked <laughs> yes. and said, bye, and no big deal. So he walked off, and I felt guilty, but I also was like, because he didn't seem to make a big deal, it didn't sync with me until my girlfriend told me she got to Toronto in the airport, and there was a guy who also had his head shaved, and the baby from behind kept saying, dada, dada, dada. Uh... And then I felt guilt. So for me, it was like, an, I'm in the best way to say it is almost like I'm abandoning them for a month. And so I felt guilt that way. But back to your point, if I'm dressing him, if he had two different color socks, I'm not going to feel any guilt about that. Uh, You got it. (laughs) And not only that, like she's the first one. I I change the diapers. I do all the same stuff, but she's the first one to notice. Meaning like she'll like, oh, we should change the diaper. Like she notices that quicker than me. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I noticed if obviously for lack of a better way of saying it, if there's a smell, but otherwise than that, him and I could be sitting on the couch together, hanging out. And I might not think about it for an hour, whereas she would just be like, let's take his diaper. So to your point, I, I see that even with us, is that even though uh, she would probably tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm nurturing and I do a lot of the same things, it's not the same way. Like, I don't, I don't take it upon myself or worry as much, you know, if, for example, he's running around with a diaper and not his pants yet. But exactly, exactly. And just to connect to you sitting there, you know, all three of you on the couch, what mommy guilt is, she might be just, you know, I'm not a, a, a woman, a wife, a partner, a mother would sit and then she starts feeling guilty. Like, um, I really should put him to sleep. He really needs to sleep where you might be just enjoying the time together. And there she is feeling, you know, I really should get up and do something. It's getting late. He's going to be cranky tomorrow. And it's really, you know, and that is in her mind and you have no clue. <laughs> that's the uh, yeah. mommy guilt uh, so I would say that yes and, and for, I'll add in because you asked the question about all these interviews I've done if I was being again trying to be objective I would say a lot of the well let's just say quote unquote uh, super achievers enlightened super achievers high achievers it seems like there's a similar pattern there and again I'm just right now generalizing but I do see that it seems like in most cases the, the fathers if I'm talking to the male achievers they were kind of going out, as you said, and earning the income and, and trying to achieve at the highest level and feeling guilt if they had a part where they weren't providing financially for the family. And True. They didn't, like, I don't hear any of them talking about it. I remember when I was changing diapers. Now, I'm not saying they didn't do it, but I'm saying I don't think that that's their memory of it. Their memory of it is, well, I went out and worked hard and made a living. And, again, I'm generalizing here, but if I think to the female high achievers we had in the show, it's interesting that they talk in a lot more nurturing ways than the male achievers. So I think, based on just observing from the outside in, what I just uh, noted that is, happens in my place, I think is a very common thing, and I think it backs up what you said as to why the reasons for the difference. Exactly. So thank you, by the way, for validating my personal thoughts on the topic, because I think that is exactly what creates, because, you know, both parents love a child, want their best, want them to, you know, want to raise contributing, happy, healthy children equally. It's just the mommy guilt is really something in the realm of women, no matter what we do and how we try and how educated we are and how old we are when we have our children. It just is a fact of life. 
So now, if we, if we dial a bit further, so the book itself that you wrote, you know, Working Mother's GPS, what made you, I guess, decide to write that book? And, you know, what, I guess, what has been, the, and the other side, I always like to know what has been the feedback since you wrote it, you know, what's been the, the market sort of appreciation for the book, but what was the reason or the catalyst behind deciding to write it? And then I guess we can dive into what pe- what have people said about it since you've written it. Okay, that's a, um, a, a wonderful question because, but it goes backwards. This book was written based on the feedback that I received from thousands of working moms who took part in my GPS groups. So it's really backwards. In other words, I created a method. So just in, you know, very short. Um, I was exhausted, and every time I learned a different parenting method, I felt worse instead of feeling better. Because in each method, I realized that I was lacking something else. Here I didn't give quality time, and there I didn't give quantity time, and here I wasn't doing enough self-esteem stuff, and there I wasn't focusing on educational games with the children. I just felt worse and worse. And I stopped one day and said, okay, Atara, if you did not find the kind of parenting method that you feel would fit beautifully for working moms, well, then just create it. That's all. And I did. And I had three things on my wish list. The first thing is it should be easy and simple language, not going to go teach. We're all exhausted and overwhelmed. We don't have time or inclination to learn a whole new parenting language. The second thing is that it should be able to easily be understandable and gain the cooperation of those around us because as working parents, we need you know, a child, a village raises a child. We need the tutor and the nanny and the babysitter and the grandma and the neighbor. And I needed something that would be universally recognizable. And the third thing was, how about if every single skill that I share with moms would be equally as effective at work? And every day when they're using these skills at work, they come home being a more efficient and proficient and competent mom. So instead of the dichotomy and instead of being tugged and pushed and pulled, there is a harmony and and one area adds and enhances the other. And I created that method. And then what I did was I started sharing it with women. So first it was, you know, in my own backyard, and then it was by phone, and then it was by Zoom. And then with all the feedback, which I definitely, I changed things. I added two components that I did not have 20 years ago when I created this. And it's based on the road analogy. I use the green light, the red light, and the yellow light of the traffic light because in Tokyo, Paris, and New York, Everybody knows that you stop at red and go at green, which is, you know, one of the first things I wanted for it to be universally recognizable, even by small children, young children. And I added speed tactics. I kept to the road analogy and actually GPS, which stands for a guide to parenting success. Everything is a road analogy. And, um, I, and I added bumps in the roads because despite all my brilliance and experience, there were things that did not work. So this book is actually a culmination of the feedback of very many mothers who really generously shared with their frustrations and their challenges and their triumphs. Um, And so that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that's perfect. And where, you know, where it's a guide to parenting success, I guess for me, the question that pops right out of me is, and I understand that uh, working moms is, is really who you spend most of your time with, but being a parenting guide do you recommend that the fathers, the dads, do they engage in this? Do they read it? Do they? Is it important for them to understand what you're also teaching the mother, or is it uh, is it something that's exclusively for one or the other? 
So the feedback that I've gotten, and I know you're big on feedback because that's real and that's life. And I'm not in an ivory tower, you know, figuring something out and analyzing it intellectually is I find that when the mothers, and that's another reason I wrote the book, not only to be able to get my message out across the world, but fathers, when they see this book, you know, on the night table or in the car, you know, when you're in traffic, no, don't, not, not when you're driving, but, and there's an audio book. But um, when they see the book, they, you know, they read parts of it and they love it. I don't want to say because it's too general, you know, it's general. No man likes to be told what to do because I'm a woman. I don't like to be told what to do. So when wives come home or partners, mothers come home and tell their partners, you, you know, you should or could do this, it doesn't go over well. When they could read it on their own, when they, they could digest it and internalize it and connect to it on their own, something magical happens. And the reason I think that men, just as women, are logical. And you say, Corey, work smarter, not harder, Correct. I do. I, I heard many, many times you repeated it. And so this is a way to just work smarter, work together. It's green love go, red authority no, and yellow trust slow. So the components of love, authority, and trust, which is really what we all need to raise you know, successful children, is there. And what I love about it is you decide as the parent, whether you're you know, the father or the mother, how much of each you want to use, and I always use the analogy of a cup of coffee because I, I admit, you know, we're into personal revelations and relevations, and that is that I love coffee, and that is you have the water, the coffee, the creamer if you use it, and the sweetener if you use it, but you're the one who decides how much of each of the components, and ask any barista, there are so many ways to make a cup of coffee using the exact same ingredients. So here, as long as you know your colors, you decide how and when and why you want to use them, and the results are amazing. <laughs> so you gave me a, a great segue or jump-off point when you mentioned the work side of things. And so what I immediately think of is that, you know, the challenge of this idea of working and home life separate together, you know, work-life balance we might call it. How do you think this all factors in? Because it feels like everybody's, everybody's goal is to get this perfect, it seems like, everybody's goal is to get this perfect work-life balance where, like, I'm at work for eight hours a day, and it's completely balanced, and then I'm at home at, you know, eight hours a day before I sleep or what have you, and it's completely balanced. And my life has never been like that, and I don't even know that I'd want that. Like, my lives sort of intermingle. But I'm just wondering, how has this impacted? Has it been a good thing, a bad thing? What is your thoughts on the impact that this whole idea of having a work-life balance has had on, say, single moms especially? Uh, so if we can focus on single moms and on your question, I'm a bit of a rebel here, and I'm controversial, and I understand that very many respected authorities have a problem with what I say, and that's okay, but I do not believe at all in work-life balance. I, I think it's a myth that creates a tremendous amount of pressure for those that believe it and try to achieve it. I think that um, there's work-life harmony. We are a parent even if we're not home. And when we're home, our businesses, our professions, our clients, or even ideas about it or worrying about it is within us and impacts our moods and our interactions. And anybody that doesn't recognize that, I think, is being unrealistic and creating undue pressure. So the reason why I said the third thing on my wish list was, you know, I'll give an example. 
and I, I appreciate and I understand that many parenting, you know, methods and books are amazing. There are a few hundred thousand of them on Amazon if you, you know, if you really want to know. But for an example, how to get your kids to eat vegetables or timeouts for children or potty training is not something that's going to help a person in the boardroom or with an angry client, if you know what I mean. So okay. here, yeah, I much prefer learning how to, um, you said then, you know, uh, contribute and motivate and, and, you know, and I want them to, I'll give you an example of each color. In green, if you're talking about um, expressing positive and encouragement. So when you learn how to express something positive, and I'll give you even an example, one of the speed tactics, catch your child doing something good. And each chapter in my book has how to apply these same skills at work. So imagine what the workplace would look like if we went there in the morning catching. It doesn't matter if it's a client, a team member, and you know what, even a boss, yep, doing something nice or doing something good and describing it and expressing it and and appreciating it. Imagine how uplifting and cooperative an environment we create. Just one tiny thing. So do you see what I mean that when we practice it at work and we do it at home and then, you know, we are proficient at home, it's just a second nature to us at work and how we just enhance and combine and make a harmony and feel whole and successful in both places? Absolutely. And, you know, if I can add in, too, something that I witnessed, which kind of blew my mind because she told me she was going to be like this, and I thought, ah, you rarely see somebody that's like this. But my girlfriend said two things. One, she wasn't going to tell her son, she was never going to say the word bad boy. And her thinking hmm. on it was that she said, he's not, like, I don't see him as a bad boy because that defines him as a person. She said, I would rather say don't do that. or As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm really excited to be back with the latest edition of the show and super excited to have a brand new first-time guest that I'm really stoked and excited to introduce to our audience. And so, Atara Mala, really excited to have you here today. And I think where I'd like to start, Atara, is to ask you a little bit about your backstory and your journey, you know, just a little bit to tell us about where you spend your time today, just so people get to know you a little bit. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, Corey. Um, Okay, where I spend my time today and my backstory is a little bit different. Where I spend my time today is with clients who challenge me, and together we create a life they can be proud of, and as you say, living with purpose and with passion. That's something that I've always loved to do. But my backstory is that I am a mother of six children. At this point, they're all married and out of the house. That's why I said it's, you know, not where my backstory began. And when I began as a young, naive, dedicated, exhausted, overwhelmed mom, um, doing my academic studies, uh, you know, and building up my practice and raising the children and doing most of the stuff in the house, the housework, I was exhausted all the time and being a type A personality and wanting to be everything to everyone and make everyone happy. I tried every single parenting 
method, advice, guru that you can just imagine. Because, you know, each child is different. I have sons and daughters, and they each have their different personalities and different ages. And I just kept running myself ragged. And I found that wherever I was, I always thought I should be somewhere else. If I was in college, then I really should be working on my practice more because I needed the income. If I was working with a client, why did I forget that I have kids and enjoy it so much? If I was at home, I really have to get that paper done. And I never, ever was fully present wherever I was. And the hardest part was that no matter what I did, it never was enough because there always was something or someone that could have or should have been done differently. And that frustration and exhaustion was actually the springboard and uh, catapulted me into creating something that I feel is amazing. And then back to the end of the question, and that's what I spend my days and my hours passionately living and loving, which is bringing a message across the globe, I hope, to working moms who can and should be proud of their careers and their businesses and not feel the debilitating and devastating guilt which gnaws at them and lowers their quality of life and actually the quality of life of those around them. So that's the, the short version. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love that. And, as, and we chatted about this off air, but uh, we have that in common. And, and I say that I don't mean I'm a single mom, but, uh, but I'm a great <laughs> And I, I talk a lot, as, as you know, about how much that impacted my life. And in fact, even so much so that I did a talk not that long ago for the, the Boys and Girls Club of New York, uh, Brooklyn Navy Yard, for other children, uh, of single moms, because I'm so passionate about and feel it's so important for us to recognize how much work a single mom puts in. And I will say, and I don't know the experience from a mom's perspective, but about that guilt, like my mother actually, um, I know she struggled raising me thinking that, you know, I wasn't maybe seeing the benefit of it and I maybe wasn't, uh, maybe I didn't notice all the things she was doing. And I will say this as well, you know, I put my father on a pedestal, not realizing, and this is after he left our lives, not mm -hmm. realizing it was my mother that was doing all those things. So first of all, I, I totally can identify with what you're teaching. And I have to ask you, my, I guess my first question diving in, Atara, would be, why do you think, and I know this might be an obvious question, but for me as a male, I'd like to get an outside perspective on it. Why do you think it is that, let's say, moms have that guilt, but maybe dads don't feel that same guilt, whether they're in a relationship or whether they're a single dad? You know, I've asked myself that question time and again, and the answer I'll share with you is from my personal perspective, the feedback I've gotten from thousands of moms, and to open and close parentheses for a second, um, Corey, uh, single moms are those that struggle valiantly because they don't have the backup, um, whether it's financially or personally or just another two hands, <laughs> to be able to relax, and therefore they are so on top of my list of those that I admire and learn from. But coming back to why women or mothers have mommy guilt, you don't really hear many books being written or programs being created for daddy guilt. And here's what I think, but I'd love your perspective on it, because you um, not only are someone who is a deep thinker and loving life and are interested in other people, but you have you know, a vast knowledge of interviewing thousands and thousands of thought leaders. And here's what I'm going to ask you, bounce this off you. What I see is that guilt is what fills the gap between our expectations and our reality. 
So if as a mom I expect myself to be very calm and wonderful in the morning, even though she forgot her shoes and the baby is screeching and the nanny didn't come, or if I expect myself to be constantly professional and um, totally invested in my business career or profession, but despite the fact that a child is ill or there is, you know, a big financial or personal problem, my expectations, and then when I measure up to the reality, which usually is, you know, not the same, that creates a void, a gap, and I even call it an invitation to guilt. So what my thinking is, since a mom feels, knows, and yes, it's social and it's nurturing and it's the messages we've gotten and it's even biological, that we are responsible for the well-being of our family, of our children, of our homes, our expectations are such that when we're all over the place, you know, even though we're living in the 21st century, we cannot be in two places at once at the same time physically, um, we just find ourselves, you know, I missed his recital and I forgot her dentist appointment. And that creates the guilt. On the other hand, the dads, I don't think they have the same expectations of the consistent nurturing and being there and remembering that she shouldn't get Kool-Aid and he needs the red socks. I am not sure that those are their expectations. My feeling is that dads feel more guilt in the areas of providing for their family, protecting their family. But I'd love to hear um, your take on this. Yeah, so I, so I, first of all, I, I totally agree with everything you just said based on just looking on the outside in. And I will add, too, you know, I mentioned I was raised by a single mother, but I'm also now a dad myself and, and a fairly new dad. You know, he's less than two years old, and it's my girlfriend and my first – it's both of our first uh, child. And we right. don't know if we're having a second one, so he, might, he may or may not be an only child. We're not sure. But having said that, it's such a great point because if I'm being full disclosure and honest, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to – to you know, tell this about ourselves, but if I look at it realistically, I feel guilt. For example, uh, I just they were on the road with me for a week, and then I've been on the road for over a month myself. Oh and, wow! Yeah, huh. and and that that's the longest trip since he's been born. In fact, even maybe close to the longest since my girlfriend and I got together. So it's not like that's common, even though I speak and I'm on the road a lot. Usually, I come back quicker than that. But we, I, they left from me in New York, and we went in different directions. And the baby was just like, bye, bye, bye. And he can't say many words, but he just walked <laughs> yes. and said bye and no big deal. So he walked off, and I felt guilty, but I also was like, because he didn't seem to make a big deal, it didn't sync with me until my girlfriend told me she got to Toronto in the airport, and there was a guy who also had his head shaved, and the baby from behind kept saying, dada, dada, dada. Uh... And then I felt guilt. So for me, it was like an, I'm in the best way to say it is almost like I'm abandoning them for a month. And so I felt guilt that way. But back to your point, if I'm dressing him, if he had two different colored socks, I'm not going to feel any guilt about that Uh, You got it. (laughs) And not only that, like she's the first one. I I change the diapers. I do all the same stuff, but she's the first one to notice, meaning like she'll like, oh, we should change this diaper. Like she notices that quicker than me. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I noticed this obviously, for lack of a better way of saying it, there's a smell. But otherwise than that, him and I could be sitting on the couch together hanging out. And I might not think about it for an hour, whereas she would just be like, let's take his diaper. So to your point, I, I see that even with us, is that even though uh, she would probably tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm nurturing and I do a lot of the same things, it's not the same way. Like, I don't, I don't take it upon myself or worry as much, you know, if, for example, he's running around with a diaper and not his pants yet. 
But exactly, she exactly. And just to connect to you sitting there, you know, all three of you on the couch, what mommy guilt is, she might be just, you know, I'm not a, a, a woman, a wife, a partner, a mother would sit and then she starts feeling guilty. Like, um, I really should put him to sleep. He really needs his sleep where you might be just enjoying the time together. And there she is feeling, you know, I really should get up and do something. It's getting late. He's going to be cranky tomorrow. And it's really, you know, and that is in her mind and you have no clue. <laughs> that's uh, the yeah. mommy guilt. Uh, so I would say that, yes. And, and for, I'll add in, because you asked the question about all these interviews I've done. If I was being, again, trying to be objective, I would say a lot of the, well, let's just say, quote, unquote, uh, super achievers, enlightened super achievers, high achievers, it seems like there's a similar pattern there. And, again, I'm just right now generalizing. But I do see that it seems like in most cases the the fathers, if I'm talking to the male achievers, they were kind of going out, as you said, and earning the income and, and trying to achieve at the highest level and feeling guilt if they had a part where they weren't providing financially for the family. And True. They didn't, like, I don't hear any of them talking about it. I remember when I was changing diapers. Now, I'm not saying they didn't do it, but I'm saying I don't think that that's their memory of it. Their memory of it is, well, I went out and worked hard and made a living. And, again, I'm generalizing here, but if I think to the female high achievers we had in the show, it's interesting that they talk in a lot more nurturing ways than the male achievers. So I think, based on just observing from the outside in, what I just uh, noticed that it happens in my place, I think is a very common thing, and I think it backs up what you said as to why the reasons for the difference. Exactly. So thank you, by the way, for validating my personal thoughts on the topic, because I think that is exactly what creates, because, you know, both parents love a child, want their best, want them to, you know, want to raise contributing, happy, healthy children equally. It's just the mommy guilt is really something in the realm of women, no matter what we do and how we try and how educated we are and how old we are when we have our children. It just is a fact of life. So now, if we, if we dial a bit further, so the book itself that you wrote, you know, Working Mother's GPS, what made you, I guess, decide to write that book? And, you know, what, I guess, what has been, the, and the other side, I always like to know what has been the feedback since you wrote it, you know, what's been the, the market sort of appreciation for the book, but what was the reason or the catalyst behind deciding to write it? And then I guess we can dive into what, pe- what have people said about it since you've written it. Okay, that's a, um, a, a wonderful question, because, but it goes backwards. This book was written based on the feedback that I received from thousands of working moms who took part in my GPS groups, so it's really backwards. In other words, I created a method, so just you know, very short. Um, I was exhausted, and every time I learned a different parenting method, I felt worse instead of feeling better because in each method, I realized that I was lacking something else. Here I didn't give quality time, and there I didn't give quantity time, and here I wasn't doing enough self-esteem stuff, and there I wasn't focusing on educational games with the children. I just felt worse and worse. And I stopped one day and said, okay, Atara, if you did not find the kind of parenting method that you feel would fit beautifully for working moms, well, then just create it. That's all. And I did. And I had three things on my wish list. The first thing is it should be easy and simple language, not going to go teach. We're all exhausted and overwhelmed. We don't have time or inclination to learn a whole new parenting language. The second thing is that it should be able to easily be understandable and gain the cooperation of those around us because as working parents, we need you know, a child, a village raises a child. We need the tutor and the nanny and the babysitter and the grandma and the neighbor. And I needed something that would be universally recognizable. And the third thing was, how about 
if every single skill that I share with moms would be equally as effective at work. And every day when they're using these skills at work, they come home being a more efficient and proficient and competent mom. So instead of the dichotomy and instead of being tugged and pushed and pulled, there is a harmony and and one area adds and enhances the other. And I created that method. And then what I did was I started sharing it with women. So first it was, you know, in my own backyard, and then it was by phone, and then it was by Zoom. And then with all the feedback, which I definitely, I changed things. I added two components that I did not have 20 years ago when I created this. And it's based on the road analogy. I use the green light, the red light, and the yellow light of the traffic light because in Tokyo, Paris, and New York, Everybody knows that you stop at red and go at green, which is, you know, one of the first things I wanted for it to be universally recognizable, even by small children, young children. And I added speed tactics. I kept to the road analogy and actually GPS, which stands for uh, Guide to Parenting Success. Everything is a road analogy. And, um, I, and I added bumps in the roads because despite all my brilliance and experience, there were things that did not work. So this book is actually a culmination of the feedback of very many mothers who really generously shared with their frustrations and their challenges and their triumphs. Um, and so that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, that's perfect. And where, you know, where it's a guide to parenting success, I guess for me the question that pops right out at me is, and I understand that uh, working moms is, is really who you spend most of your time with, but being a parenting guide do you recommend that the fathers, the dads, do they engage in this? Do they read it? Do they? Is it important for them to understand what you're also teaching the mother, or is it uh, is it something that's exclusively for one or the other? So the feedback that I've gotten, and I know you're big on feedback because that's real and that's life. And I'm not in an ivory tower, you know, figuring something out and analyzing it intellectually is I find that when the mothers, and that's another reason I wrote the book, not only to be able to get my message out across the world, but fathers, when they see this book, you know, on the night table or in the car, you know, when you're in traffic, no, don't, not, not when you're driving, but, and there's an audio book. But um, when they see the book, they, you know, they read parts of it and they love it. I don't want to say because it's too general, you know, it's general, no man likes to be told what to do because I'm a woman, I don't like to be told what to do. So when wives come home or partners, mothers come home and tell their partners, you, you know, you should or could do this, it doesn't go over well. When they could read it on their own, when they, they could digest it and internalize it and connect to it on their own, something magical happens. And the reason, I think that men, just as women, are logical. And you say, Corey, work smarter, not harder, Correct. I do. I, I heard many times you repeated it. And so this is a way to just work smarter, work together. It's green love go, red authority no, and yellow trust slow. So the components of love, authority, and trust, which is really what we all need to raise you know, successful children, is there. And what I love about it is you decide as the parent, whether you're you know, the father or the mother, how much of each you want to use, and I always use the analogy of a cup of coffee because I, I admit, you know, we're into personal revelations and relevations, and that is that I love coffee, and that is you have the water, the coffee, the creamer if you use it, and the sweetener if you use it, but you're the one who decides how much of each of the components, and ask any barista, there are so many ways to make a cup of coffee using the exact same ingredients. So here, as long as you know your colors, 
You decide how and when and why you want to use them, and the results are amazing. <laughs> so you gave me a great segue or jump-off point when you mentioned the work side of things. And so what I immediately think of is that, you know, the challenge of this idea of working and home life separate together, you know, work-life balance, we might call it. How do you think this all factors in? Because it feels like everybody's everybody's goal is to get this perfect, it seems like, everybody's goal is to get this perfect work-life balance where, like, I'm at work for eight hours a day, and it's completely balanced, and then I'm at home at, you know, eight hours a day before I sleep or what have you, and it's completely balanced. And my life has never been like that, and I don't even know that I'd want that. Like, my lives sort of intermingle. But I'm just wondering, how has this impacted? Has it been a good thing, a bad thing? What is your thoughts on the impact that this whole idea of having a work-life balance has had on, say, single moms especially? Uh, so if we can focus on single moms and on your question, I'm a bit of a rebel here, and I'm controversial, and I understand that very many respected authorities have a problem with what I say, and that's okay. But I do not believe at all in work-life balance. I, I think it's a myth that creates a tremendous amount of pressure for those that believe it and try to achieve it. I think that um, there's work-life harmony. We are a parent even if we're not home. And when we're home, our businesses, our professions, our clients, or even ideas about it or worrying about it is within us and impacts our moods and our interactions. And anybody that doesn't recognize that, I think, is being unrealistic and creating undue pressure. So the reason why I said the third thing on my wish list was, you know, I'll give an example. And I, I appreciate and I understand that many parenting, you know, methods and books are amazing. There are a few hundred thousand of them on Amazon if you, you know, if you really want to know. But for an example, how to get your kids to eat vegetables or time out for children or potty training is not something that's going to help a person in the boardroom or with an angry client, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> here, yeah, I much prefer learning how to, um, you said then, you know, uh, contribute and motivate and, and, you know, and I want them to, I'll give you an example of each color in green. If you're talking about um, expressing positive and encouragement. So when you learn how to express something positive, and I'll give you even an example, one of the speed tactics, catch your child doing something good. And each chapter in my book has how to apply these same skills at work. So imagine what the workplace would look like if we went there in the morning catching. It doesn't matter if it's a client, a team member, and you know what, even a boss, yep, doing something nice or doing something good and describing it and expressing it and, expre and appreciating it. Imagine how uplifting and cooperative an environment we create. Just one tiny thing. So do you see what I mean that when we practice it at work and we do it at home and then, we, you know, we are proficient at home, we, it just is second nature to us at work and how we just enhance and combine and make a harmony and feel whole and successful in both places? Absolutely. And, you know, if I can add in, too, something that I witnessed, which kind of blew my mind because she told me she was going to be like this, and I thought, ah, you rarely see somebody that's like this. But my girlfriend said two things. One, she wasn't going to tell her son – she was never going to say the word bad boy. And her thinking hmm. on it was that she said he's not – like, I don't see him as a bad boy because that defines him as a person. She said, I would rather say don't do that or what you're doing is not good, meaning focusing on the action versus the person. And yes. 
but now, but because she believes in the that you know helps create who the person is, it manifests. She does say good boy because she believes in it. <laughs> but then the other thing she said she was going to do, and I didn't think she would do it. But every night she she reads to him, but she also talks to him. Like she said, will say even when he falls asleep, she'll say you're a good boy. You're going to take over the world. You're going to do great things. We all need you here. And she she does these affirmations to him every night. Mm-hmm. Wow. My point is, I didn't think she would follow through on it, but here he is two years old, and she continued to do both. And I, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I have to see that as a good versus a bad thing. And so it's interesting. Like, she never got that from anybody. She just logically thought that made sense. But anyway, I don't know your thoughts on that, but I just I don't know why it popped into my head to share that. Oh, yes, I do, because you, you see, it's contagious, Corey. Green. Green is motivational. Green is building and not breaking. And, and you know what's awesome about that? Not only her consistency, because green is also consistency. I'll tell you how. You know, when you go down the highway, uh, everything's a road analogy. So one, I use two road signs for each color, and one of them is the mile marker. The mile marker is that green sign that tells you, like, another 64 miles to Albany, right? That gives you encouragement and keeps you consistent, and that that is what she did, which is amazing these two years. But even more than that, the power of positive communication. And here you have it. So, of course, you connected. I told you, anybody that gets in my program, it's contagious and it works. <laughs> so, Tara, I told you that I wind down with three questions, but I'm going to do something different today. I'm actually going to align the questions around the work you do versus just ask you the questions in general. Now, you can choose how you want to answer them. But uh, and we, use, <laughs> we call it the rapid-fire questions, and it's not because – uh, originally, it was because, okay, we're going to do these questions super quick, but we've never put a timeline on the answer, so don't feel pressured. Uh, but uh, the questions, these are the three questions, but I'm going to, again, line them around the work that you do. So the first question is, how do you define success? And so what I'm going to add on to that is, when you're working with single moms and moms in general, how do you define success for them? Meaning, if you look at this, you know, they've followed my work, and now they're on the right path. What does that look like? What's success in that work? Success for single moms and working moms, or, you know, somebody once said that working mom is redundant, meaning which mom doesn't work, but no matter where she is, but um, is being happy, satisfied wherever they are. If, take for instance, your mom as a single mom would have read my book and spoken to me and she would have called me up and said, Atara, I had an awesome, awesome week. I had this, you know, important client at work and I enjoyed every minute I was there. But when I got home, I was so happy to spend it with Corey. When we don't feel the tug, when we feel the harmony, when we feel we allow ourselves to be happy at home, without feeling guilty we're not doing stuff for work, and happy at work without every second telling ourselves where we should have and could have been, that to me is unbelievable, resounding success. You might call it, you know, enjoying the moment. It's, that is a result. The work, the hard work, was in becoming more competent and confident, and then that's, that's success in my book. Love it. And so as a follow-up to that, how important, so our show used to be called Conversations with Passion. It was for five years. And I'll give you a super quick backstory as to why it's not any more, Tara, is that I found that when I would ask high achievers about passion, the first three or four years, everybody just said, it's so important, you have to have it. Then all of a sudden, I noticed that when I was asking the question, people were starting to kind of, I'll say, kick back against it and say, I'm tired of people saying, find your passion, and people feel like failures when they don't, and all that kind of stuff. So I realized I changed the name. For two years, we had great discussions around it, 
but I realize if somebody's searching for a show and they they don't like the word passion, then they're going to skip by the show and not hear the great True. Topic. So we changed the name to Let's Do Influencing, almost a play on Let's Do Coffee, but I never wanted to leave out the idea of purpose or passion. I still like having the dialogue. So my question, after all that sort of context, is how important do you feel it is, or do you feel it's important, uh, for a single mom to find their, or I guess I'll say a working mom, as you said, they're, we're all working, they're all working moms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but how important is it for them to find a purpose outside of raising their children? Because I believe that is a calling and a purpose. But, you know, obviously it's possible for us to have another different calling and purpose. And so do you think it's important for them to find another calling or to have another calling? Or do you think it's just if it lands in your lap, that's what's meant to be? I'm just curious your, your take on it all the way around. You know, that's so interesting. As you were speaking and I was like nodding my head, you don't see me. But l- let me challenge you. Um, most working moms or definitely single moms, I don't know if they have that choice, Corey. They might have their calling, their passion, their purpose, but reality gets in, and if they have to pay the rent, and they want to, you know, give their child extracurricular activities, I am not sure, like if her calling is being an artist or it's working with, uh, you know, uh, disadvantaged children, and that doesn't really um, cover it, then there are many times in life that we need to make a choice. So I'll answer on three levels. Definitely, because that's who I am and I always was. I was working before I ever got married and I still am and I hope I always be able to because that's how I connect to the world around me and that's so much an integral part of who I am. But I feel that women need, mothers, need to be honest with themselves and say what gives me joy and purpose. Sometimes it's going to be a job. Sometimes it's going to be a profession. And you know, sometimes it's going to be just a hobby or a dream, but never lose it. Because I can tell you, I've, you know, I've lived quite a few decades. <laughs> um, my, my oldest is almost 40 years old. So, you know, do the math, like they say. And I can say never give up on something you want to do. You never know what's going to happen. And the reason I answered this way, Corey, is because I find that at least 60 to 70% of working moms are working in a business or a profession because they either need that money or need the convenience or need the hours or need the flexibility. But if you really corner them in a dark alley or a light alley, they will tell you that's not really my passion. And that's okay. That's a choice. But don't ever give up on either reading up upon or taking part in, using it as a hobby or hoping and planning that when things change financially or personally or, you know, the family dynamics change, that you will follow that dream. How does that sound? I love it. And, in fact, one of my uh, – I, I ran seminars. I used to run public seminars all the time years ago, early on in my career, in my speaking career. And I remember one time a friend of mine, her name is Colleen, she came to one of the events. She was brought with somebody else. But it was, it was still, we knew each other. We were good friends. And after the event, which I didn't realize it had that impact on her, she, was, she said she was crying in the car and she said, you know, I think I might have found my calling. And what it was is we brought in some salon owners and okay. they talked about the passion of basically being a hairstylist and working with clients and what that did for you. And she was at the time um, basically a stay-at-home mom, but she was struggling financially. She had three children. And mm. she said that was like an epiphany moment for her. So she, it, it got her sort of, I guess we'll say, she said it kicked her in the butt, and it got her <laughs> to find out if there was any subsidies for her to get or if there was any way she could get any kind of funding. And because of the situation, her being a single mom, and, of course, they, you know, they wanted to encourage her to, to find work, so they actually paid for all of it, and she didn't have to pay any of the student loan back. 
And wow. so she ended up going to the, and I was shocked, the fact that she was able to do this with three children, but she ended up going through the program and she became a stylist. And that was, I want to say seven or eight years ago. And to this day, she's still working at the same salon. And when I asked her about her job, she says, I'm still in heaven. She said, I still love it like the first day. See that? So that's me. Like, you know, she still raised her children and, and did all stuff. And it wasn't easy. But the worth it gave her, and she told me that. She said it gave me so much worth outside of being a mom. And she said, especially once they started going to school. Because once they started going to school, she was just going to be home during the day waiting for them to get home. And she said, mm-hmm. so now all of a sudden it gave her that extra purpose. And the children are old enough now to be on their own. But even when they weren't, her mom chipped in and her mom would babysit them after school just for a couple hours. And But it worked. But to your point, she didn't give up on her dream. And the end result was – and her dream, by the way, wasn't – people often think it has to be being self-employed. Her dream wasn't – she doesn't want to be on her own, working on her own. And she said, I would never want to run a business. Her dream was being in an industry where she gets to meet great people and do what she loves. And, make, and, and she said, make others – this is what she told me the other day – or not the other day, but uh, I think it was about a year ago in a message. She said, Corey, I get to now – help other single moms feel worthy and beautiful. Do you see that? And so what I tell working moms is, even if now what you're doing now is not your passion slash purpose and not your dream, that's okay for now. And don't feel guilty about that choice. You're doing for your family, you know, or your reality, what you have to. But know that your time should and will come and do anything you can to make that time come quicker. Love it. So my very last official question, Atara, and then I'll just ask you how we can learn more. That's the unofficial question. Uh, But the very last official question, if time machines existed and you could jump into one and you could go back and visit a younger version of yourself, and I've added a part to the question now, would you jump into the time machine, meaning would you take the adventure? And if you did, what do you think you might tell your younger self? I would jump into the adventure because I do have regrets. And that regret is um, that I used to wait for the perfect time. I'll give a a 90-second explanation. And my message to myself would be, Atara, the perfect time is now. So um, I don't want to, you know, uh, steal my thunder. But in my book, I share that. And the example I gave is a true one where I had my oldest daughter. She was the oldest granddaughter. I was living out of the States then, and I got this most beautiful, organza, wonderful dress, a fairy dress, fairy tale dress for her. And I took it out of the tissue paper, and I tried it on, and she looked just amazing. She's a, she's a beautiful girl. And I waited for the perfect time for her to wear it. Obviously not to the playground, not to the supermarket, not to the doctor's office, not for, you know, um, no. And then one day I decided to just take pictures and send it to my mom to show her her most beautiful granddaughter, and the dress didn't fit. Mm. That was the dress she never wore. And to me it became symbolic. Because as parents, as mothers, and sometimes, you know, even in our business, you know, I'll wait until this time to expand. I'll wait until that time to roll out a new product. I'll wait until the perfect weather to have a picnic. You know what? Have a picnic in the rain. Mm. And that is what I would tell my younger self. That is what I tell all those other selves who give me the gift of trust. Yeah, that is my message. The best time is now. Now. Perfect time. Powerful message. And uh, the last question, I kind of gave you a teaser as to what it would be, but for those that may be discovering you for the very first time and they've heard the story and they you know, said, I, I connect with this person and I want to learn from her or I'm a single mom and I need help or I'm a single mom and I want some advice or I'm a parent and I want some advice. So you can see I've set up the tone in any different way. 
that they could want to reach out to you, Atara, where would you normally send them? Is there a I'm going to give three options. Easy to remember. We're on audio. The first one is themommyguiltexpert.com. That is my website, and they could get a free download of the first chapter of my book, Cool Stuff. That's the first thing. The second thing is I created a special gift for our audience, and all they have to go is to special podcast um, bonus, and they will get something really, really created for them, empowering, um, enlightening, and I enjoy doing that. And any of your audience that wants to take advantage of a special $97 value when they buy my GPS online program, all they have to do is go to buy GPS now bonus, and they will get right in. So those are the options. And this has been exhilarating and wonderful and not surprising because that's what you do and that's who you are, Corey. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Atara. That's so humbling, and I I so appreciate it. And uh, we will encourage people to go check out those options, and I'm going to even share uh, this interview and uh, and those resources with my my girlfriend and my mother. So I want to bring them into the (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Atara. It's been an absolute pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.